All right, well, grab your Bible this morning, open it to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our series on what God has promised, what God has actually promised, and the promises of God in our life. I hope you've had a great time in this series. I certainly have. And before we do, um, I'm going to talk about a promise that Jesus made in Matthew 6 that is particularly difficult for us to live out here in the United States. I'll give, get to that more. But as we do, let's just prepare for that. So could you turn to your neighbor and say, buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> We're going to go for a wild ride this morning. And I think you all know that I love you. And sometimes when people love you, they push your buttons. Amen. I'm going to push some buttons this morning. I'm going to push some buttons. And not really me, Jesus is pushing the button, I'm just helping. But um, we're going to look at one of the most important promises in all of God's word. But I believe, I particularly contend that this may be one of the hardest promises for you and I as Americans in our context and in our culture to live out. And so we're going to dive into it and get to it. The promise is found in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 19. Just a little bit of context here. This verse, the verses we're going to look at, are actually a sermon. They're actually a sermon that Jesus preached as he stood on a hillside, and there were thousands of people below him. And he started in Matthew chapter 5. He ended at the end of Matthew chapter 7. It's a long sermon. But in Jesus' message, he's basically talking about and going very in-depth in what it means to follow the commands of God in your life and what it means to live for God, to honor him with your life. And so Jesus talks about everything. He kind of covers the whole gamut. But um, we're just going to look at two significant things this morning uh, and look at this very, very powerful promise that Jesus has given us. So look at verse 19 with me. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation this morning. It says, Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures. That can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasure for yourselves that cannot be stolen and never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. How profound will be the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter? How could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you more valuable to your Father than they? 
So which one of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil, and yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was robed in beauty more than any one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time, and then dried up and burned, won't he provide you with the clothes you need, even though you live with such little faith? So then, forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For that is what unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your bodies require? And then the promise. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from it. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I come from a long line of really good worriers. Anybody else? I think it's a family trait of ours. Postumas do it well. And Jesus gives us this promise in verse 33. Don't worry. Don't focus on money. Don't make something else your God. Jesus says what? If you put me first, I'll take care of you. That's the promise we're going to look at this morning. That if you and I put Jesus first and put his kingdom first in our lives, he will always take care of us. Now, as we begin, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the difficulty that I think you and I, in our particular context in society, have a challenge with living up to this promise. Now, I'll, I'll say this. Every culture, uh, because we're all different around the world will struggle with different promises in different ways. Like there might be some other promises in God's word that as Americans we can live out much easier than somebody might be able to live up to in another part of the world. I believe in particular this promise is challenging for wealthy nations. Let me explain. See, sometimes cultures and people, especially in cultures with great wealth, can make a big deal about what Jesus called less important things. And Jesus talked about three things in particular that are less important than the kingdom and about our relationship with him and our worship of him. And these three things are food, water, and clothing. But they have this potential to take our lives over in wealthy nations. And before we know it, we have a very high importance on those things. And let me ask you a question as we get started. In America, do you think we have a high importance on food, drinks, and clothes? We do, don't we? Does our society really love its food? Absolutely. We love our food. In fact, nowhere else in the world can you go to every city and find restaurants of every culture in that city. And you can find places to eat and you can find any kind of food you would like. In fact, in America, we have restaurants that you can walk into and you can find any kind of food and you can eat as much of it as you want. We call them buffets. <laughs> we even have TV channels. 
dedicated only to food, food preparation, and the best places to eat in our cities. How about drinks? Does our society put a high importance on what it drinks? Yes, it does. Let me share something interesting with you as we talk about this for a moment. Did you know 89%, 6.5 billion people on the planet only use basic water service? That's astounding, isn't it? Two billion people on the planet, get ready for this one, use a water service that is contaminated with feces. That means that you and I live in a culture with extreme blessing, amen? Because you and I can walk into any convenience store and find hundreds of clean drinks. That is an enormous blessing from God. At the same time, it can become its own God, can it? In fact, let me just address something that if you evaluate the American culture, it would be easy to see that we actually place a very high importance on one drink in particular. Do you know what it is? That's right, alcohol. Wealthy, wealthy nations in particular have a lot of alcohol. Let me give you an illustration of, of how we see this in existence in our culture. How many college students do you think would show up to a party that was advertised in the following way? Join us for pretzels and games. We're going to party all night. How many college students would show up to the second party advertised in this way? Join us for pretzels, games, and free beer. We're going to party all night. Which party's having more college students at it? We know which one, don't we? Now, what did we just declare when hundreds of college students showed up at the party with alcohol? We just declared that alcohol is more important than relationship. That we can't be together as a culture unless we have alcohol there. See, alcohol is highly encouraged at every social event in our culture. It permeates everything. We have BYOB parties, and we won't go to a party unless there's alcohol there. See, this is a challenge in our culture, and we won't address the negative sides of alcohol in our culture very well because we don't want it to go away. You could say that we've made it a god. Now, it's not wrong to have an alcoholic drink, let's be clear, right? In fact, alcohol is not bad. In fact, nothing on our planet is bad, is it? It's all God's creation. It's just how we use it. that We, we use God's stuff in inappropriate, evil ways. That's what makes it wrong. There's tons of things in our culture that we could use in a right way. We choose to use them in a wrong way, and we turn it into sin. So it's not wrong to have an alcoholic drink. It is wrong to get drunk. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be filled with wine, don't get drunk with wine that leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, right? So we're supposed to fill our lives with the Spirit instead of with alcohol. But what we see in America is we often make drinks more important than Jesus. 
How about clothes? Does our culture really love its clothes? Yeah. In fact, we've actually built cathedrals to clothes, haven't we? We call them malls. And we have all kinds of clothes from around the world in all sizes and shapes and price points. And I, I would say the best part about going to our cathedral of clothes is not only can you go to tons of different stores and pick out your clothes, but you can also do it with a hot cinnamon roll and frosting <laughs> in your hand. <laughs> Yet in every city in America... Middle school and high school students and college students are anxious to attend school or skip that day because they don't have the right clothes and they know they will be made fun of. Have we placed too high of an importance on clothes? Yes. And when you look at our school systems, now what have we said? That what you wear is more important than your education. Maybe we're a little out of balance. See, the American culture, because of our wealth, we deal with food and drink and clothes in an extreme, don't we? So can you see how difficult it might be for you and I, living in this context, to live out a promise to seek first the kingdom of God? See, this promise in particular becomes hard to follow because our culture is telling us to chase after all of these Less important things instead of the purposes of God for you and me. So as Americans, I believe that you and I may struggle with this promise more than any other. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't, we shouldn't eat good food or drink fun drinks or buy nice clothes? Of course not. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying don't wear clothes to work tomorrow. That is not what he's saying. Let's be extremely clear here. Let's not become an extremely weird church, right? Okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about a state of mind. He's talking about a focus to your life. He's talking about what you and I decide is important in our life and how we decide to live based on what we've made number one. That's what Jesus is talking about. All of these things, they can all be in our lives as long as Jesus is number one. Jesus is talking about making this promise to put him first, the most important thing, and trust that he will take care of you. See, Jesus is talking about priorities, but here's the challenge. The American dream rarely, if ever, puts Jesus first. The American dream is about putting me first so that I can get all that I want. So how can you and I put this into right alignment in our lives? Boy, that's the challenge, isn't it? to balance this properly. How do we know that we trust Jesus more than anything else? Well, it's interesting. In particular, Jesus gave us kind of a tester. He said the tester is money. The test for us and the, the way that you and I figure this out in our life is with money. Now, here's the good test. 
most of us don't mind at all spending some money on a good meal or a nice shirt. But we'll drop a little bit there. But when it comes to God, will we do the same? Do we regularly give financially to God? Do we help fund the gospel to the ends of the earth? Or when God whispers in our ear about giving financially, do we give a really small amount, not the same as a meal or a nice shirt? Or do we come up with some reason not to give at all? It's a good test. Now, why is money used as a test? Have you always wondered that? Like, why is money always used as the test in God's word? It's simple. Because we've made it a God. Money is always used as the test because God knows our heart, doesn't he? He knows how we think. He knows how we feel. He knows our emotional state. He knows what makes the world go round. And money reveals our heart. It tells us what we think is important because it's simply true. What we think is important, we'll spend money on. If you think fishing is important, you'll buy a new fishing pole. If you think the Seahawks are important, you'll buy a good jersey. Whatever it is. And I would say some of those things are less important. <coughs> I'm sorry, that's what Jesus said. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> See, money can get in the way of trusting Jesus, can it? And what Jesus is saying is, do you trust me? Are you putting me first? Or is money first? And we reveal what is first by what we trust. Now, let me tell you something that I think is really, really important. This is not a rich or poor thing. It's not a rich or poor thing. Some people improperly look at God's word and say, well, if I was wealthy, this wouldn't be a problem. Uh-uh, that's not true at all. Because if you're wealthy, what do you trust in? Your money. You don't trust in God, you trust in money. And if you're poor, what do you say? And what are you worried and always anxious about? If I only had more money. It's not a rich or poor thing at all. It's a do I trust Jesus thing, whether I'm rich or I'm poor. Is, my, is, my, is Jesus number one? And do I let him take care of me every day? Excuse me. So let me ask a question as we dive a little deeper. How do we put Jesus first? How do we make Jesus number one? I think Jesus told us three ways. In these verses, Jesus told us three ways. Number one, stockpile heavenly treasure. Number two, serve one master, the one true God. And number three, trust God, don't worry. Let's look at each quickly, and then we'll call it a morning. The first one is stockpile heavenly treasure. See, here's what's interesting. There's earthly treasure, and there's heavenly treasure. And Jesus says, stockpile heavenly treasure. Now, what's interesting is both can be stockpiled, can't they? Both can be used in the future. But only one is secure. Only one can't be stolen doesn't rust, doesn't decay. Only one you get to use for eternity. See, one is short-term and one is really long-term. And the one you stockpile reveals where your heart is, what you've made number one. 
If you're stockpiling earthly things, then your treasure is here, and you'll only get to use it here. If you're stockpiling heavenly treasure, then you're putting Jesus first, and you'll get to use that treasure for eternity. Which begs this question, what is heavenly treasure? I know what earthly treasure is. What is heavenly treasure? Well, let me define it this way. Heavenly treasure is the life we live and the resources we use to help people know Jesus and live for him daily. Do you like how I, I put our mission statement in there? Do you like that? That was pretty smooth, huh? Not so dumb. Some of you questioned that. The life we live and the resources we use to help people know Jesus and live for him daily. It's Sharing Jesus with a friend. Serving at a homeless shelter and giving people food in Jesus' name. It's using your talents to serve someone. It's having a Bible study and a prayer time with your family. It's giving financially to your local church, to missions, and to whatever else Jesus asks you to. It's supporting a child in a foreign country who will get clean food and water and clothes and hear the gospel because of your monthly support. It's serving at VBS Amen. and everywhere else here in Cheney Face Center. It's serving because we love the people of our city and we want them to believe in Jesus. And that's why we exist as a local church. It's obeying God's word in every circumstance. It's listening to the Holy Spirit and always saying yes to him. It's helping people believe in Jesus for the very first time and then teaching them to obey Jesus for the rest of their life. This is what heavenly treasure is. And you and I, every time we do something like that, we send the treasure on to heaven and we get to use it there. Now the Bible is clear that we can build treasure for ourselves in heaven when our lives are devoted to Jesus and when we want to see the gospel touch everyone around us. Now at times, at times there will be moments where you give up earthly treasure to invest or to stockpile heavenly treasure. And it might be a sacrifice to you. In that moment, that's where you begin to live in the promise that you are taking what you need or what you think you need or what helps you get through life and you give it away for the gospel, for Jesus, because he's told you to. It's in that moment that that promise, that this promise becomes, becomes extremely important as you put Jesus first and trust him to take care of you here as you sacrifice for him. See, what the word tells us over and over again is when we take risks for Jesus, he will take care of us. Where he leads, he provides, amen? When we give him everything, he will give us what we need. So a way to put Jesus first is to stockpile treasure in heaven. An additional way to put Jesus first is to serve one master, the one true God. Serve one master. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, no words have ever been truer. You can't serve two things at the same time. You can't do two things at the same time. You just can't do it. It's like you can't date two girls at the same time. You can't root for two teams at the same time. You can't ride two bikes at the same time. You can't do it. You can't make two things your God. We are designed to worship, amen? And we are all worshiping something. You say, I'm not, I'm agnostic, I'm an atheist. No, you're worshiping. You're worshiping the pleasures of this world. We're all designed to worship because we're all designed to have a relationship with our creator. So you have to choose one. And Jesus says, choose the Lord your God, the one true God. Now in this set of verses in particular, Jesus names two masters here. There's master God and there's master money. They're both masters, aren't they? Because they both take everything from you. Both require absolute allegiance. Both want deep relationship with you that go all the way to your soul. And both want you to trust in them implicitly. Now God is the one true master. Money is a false master. When we are in God's presence, we feel full and fulfilled and whole. When we are in the presence of money, we want more. We're never satisfied, and we're eventually left feeling empty. When we let God take care of our needs, we always have enough. When we let money take care of our needs, we always want more. When God is the love of our life, we become outward focused. When money is the love of our life, we become inward focused. Now, we could go on and on, couldn't we? The difference between this good master, God, and this false master, money. See, the point is this. God is good. He's loving. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's overwhelmingly giving as a master. Money is a harsh master, and the more you get, the more it will take. Now, there's something else very, very interesting about making God your master. It's a biblical truth from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. If you make God your master and you can truly, nothing on the planet will distract you, especially money, from making God your master, guess what God will give you more of? Money. <laughs> Why? Because he knows. He knows you, you won't you won't disagree with what he's saying in your life. Now, that's not a, a, an absolute deal. We're not talking about a lottery ticket here. We're not talking about that when you say yes to Jesus, that means you can go buy a new Mercedes tomorrow. That's not what we're talking about. Don't get it out of whack or out of balance. But the Bible's clear that when we put him first, it opens the windows of heaven, Malachi 3 says. And it allows God to pour out his blessing on you. But when you say, no, money's first in my life, the windows are closed. The blessing is closed. Because we said, I'll take care of myself. Instead, Jesus says, 
Put me first and I'll take care of you and I'll open the window of my blessing and pour it out into your life. Now, by the way, the blessing won't always be financial, amen? Sometimes the blessing will be in the form of the greatest friend you've ever had. Sometimes the blessing will be that the presence of God is with you just in a crazy, awesome way as you go to work on a crazy, difficult day or during a season of your life that is extremely challenging and you just don't understand how is the peace of God in my life right now, uh, this is an amazing blessing. That happens when you put God first. Now the last way we can put Jesus first is to trust God or don't worry. This is the tough one, isn't it? Trust God. Now Jesus is very clear. He spent several verses talking about the fact that worry hurts our relationship with him. Because worry says this world is more important than Jesus. Worry says Jesus is second and I'm first and my situation is first and my circumstances first. Worry says I can't trust Jesus. Worry says I can only see physical things, I can't see spiritual things. This is why worry, in particular, is very challenging to our faith. Worry is also, if you're a good worrier, then you know worry is consuming, isn't it? It will consume your thoughts. It'll consume our time. It'll consume our faith. It'll hijack our joy and our peace and our contentment, it will consume everything, especially our trust in God. See, eventually the stronghold of worry will consume nearly everything in your life, and all you ever think about is what you're worrying about. It's like a weed. It's like that rose bush in my front yard that I've pulled up for not one, not two, but three years in a row now. This rose bush has a deep root, just like worry does. And you and I have to let Jesus pull that root out and throw it in the fire. Amen? Because if we don't, we can't trust God and we're consumed by this world instead of his world. So how do we trust God? How do we do that? Well, one of my favorite verses and one of the best verses about this is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says it simply, Trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, Rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Now, there's just a couple things here. Trust the Lord completely, the word is. NIV says, with all your heart. Now, all means 100%. We always like 99.9, don't we? Where we can, we can uh, there's something out there that we don't have to give all, completely, everything. Give it all to God. Now here's what's interesting. It says, 
Do not rely on your own opinions. Now notice here, God didn't say you can't have your own opinion. <laughs> He's not saying you, you become pointless and you just shut your mind off. That's not what he's saying. You can have your own opinion. He's just saying don't rely on it. Why? Why can't I rely on my own opinions? Well, because typically my own opinions are selfish. And here's another reason why we can't rely on our own opinions. Our own opinions fall vastly short. My own opinion about any situation is only what I can see. It's only what I think. It's only what I want the outcome to be. It's only based on the context of how I've lived and the experience I've lived. Can you understand that? that there, are, there are multiple facets to even our own planet, not, let alone what God can do? That's why God says, don't rely on your own opinions. They fall vastly short compared to mine. It says, rely on him. Let God lead. Why? Because God sees everything. He sees everything in your life from beginning to end. He knows everything about this world. He knows everything about your circumstances. He knows everything about your future, and he knows what's best for you and me. That's why we can place our trust in him. See, the wise thing is to rely on him to let him lead. And lastly, in order to trust God, Proverbs 3, Solomon, the wisest person on this planet, said, become intimate with God. Become intimate with God. Make God your best friend. Share your life with him. Talk to him about your life and your relationships and decisions you need to make. Bring God into every aspect of your life. Become intimate with him. Would you stand with me as we close?